Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. I am your hostess, your groove mistress, and spiritual advisor, Madam Perry. But you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, Perry. I don't care. I'm just glad you're here and that I'm here. And uh, hey, we've had so much fun lately, and uh, as we always do. But um, I think especially recently having uh, Bruce Sudano. And, uh, you know, Bruce Sudano with his uh, talk about his newest EP, Spirals, Volume 1. Great. His voice is great. Everything is fantastic. So go ahead. And, yes, you can get that from his website, Bruce, B-R-U-C-E, Sudano.com. And uh, he posted something last week. This was a few days after he was on the show. It was the... um, I think the eighth anniversary of his late wife Donna Summers passing, and uh, you know everybody gave Bruce a lot of love there. But um, yeah, get the CD. He's a great guy. If you miss the show, play it again. Also, Don Most, uh, also known as Donnie Most, Ralph Mal from Happy Days is how we first met him years ago. Uh, he was on. What, week before last, and so much fun. And somebody uh, or people have asked me, what are the videos that we were talking about that he said to watch? One of them is from a series on YouTube called Viral Vignettes, and it's one that's it's him and Robert Wool, and uh, that's W-U-H-L. Uh, him and Robert Wool doing it, and I forget the name, but there's only about 10 episodes so far. You'll know, Don most and Robert Wool. Also, he and his old uh, co-star Anson Williams from Happy Days, they've got a new show. Uh, I believe it's Amazon Prime, but the you can watch the pilot on YouTube. And it's the first time they've acted together since Happy Days, and it's called Harvest Time. And uh, these guys are so good. There's a lot of dark humor in there, so so be prepared. But it's very good, so check that out. Also, yes, everybody loved um, uh, my African-American erotic science fiction and fantasy author, Valjean Jeffers, a few weeks ago. So, yeah, she's going to be coming back soon. She's a very popular guest. We got so much go. Oh, oh, and coming up next Tuesday, Billy Vera. Um, I don't know if you may have been a fan of his band, Billy and the Beaters, uh, I first learned about him in this, uh, around 1981 or two when he was in the movie Buckaroo Banzai starring uh, Peter Weller. He played Pinky Carruthers. But uh, everybody knows the song, At This Moment. What would you do um, at, at this moment? Everybody knows that song. It's such a beautiful ballad that he does. And he's going to talk about that and a lot of other stuff and some new books he's got out. He's also a music historian as well as an actor and musician. So Lots of fun stuff. I'm the luckiest gal in the world, and thank you all for making this uh, show keep going on. Now, tonight, this is something, a very important show I've been looking forward to and very excited about for a while. Uh, My guest is doctor at the Stanford University School of Medicine, actually a pediatric intensive care physician, and, uh, and and more. But he's also done a lot of research in pharmacology, immunology. Um, you know, I could talk about all the science stuff, bring him in here. By the way, just to make sure you know, I'm talking about who you've been asking me about. He is also a health enthusiast, meditator, uh, utilizes a non-duality and mindfulness-based approach, uh, including his GAIN method. He's the author of the book, GAIN Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And I've posted links to the page of his uh, meditations and so forth, or his website page on 
my Instagram out of social media. So let's just go ahead and invite him here into the genie bottle. That is Madam Perry Salon. Please welcome Dr. Greg Hammer. Greg, so happy to have you here. My pleasure to be with you. Well, it's absolute delight. Are you, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a genie bottle before. You know, one of my first guests left the show and then went all over social media saying, I've been to Madame Perry's salon. It's like the inside of genie's bottle. So by then, this, you know, the secret was out. I couldn't, I couldn't hide it. So are you comfortable here? Have you got a big pillow to sit on? I'm absolutely comfortable. Okay, good, good, good. Wonderful. Well, um, you know, first of all, the title of your book, Game Without Pain, you know, that goes against what we've heard forever and ever, ever, about you got to have pain to get gain. Um, but I know, you, you know, we're going to we, we'll talk about that, but the headline, the main thing, the focus uh, while you're here is for the topic, how to increase resilience and well-being, coronavirus quarantine. Dr. Hammer, you know you couldn't be here at a better time. Well, it is a very stressful <laughs> you know. time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as you said, you know, as a nation, heck, as a globe, you know, we uh, as a whole planet, we are under a lot of stress. And, um, you know, not the things that never happened to this degree. There have been other... Um, Situations, World War One and Two, uh, which I'm reading a lot about right now, as well as other uh, epidemics. But this is the one, even a baby boomer like me, this is the first one we really know about in our lifetime. Absolutely. So well, you all... know the the Go pandemic uh, of 1918, the Great Influenza pandemic, was simultaneous with World War One. And if you're reading about World War One, which I've done quite a lot you would understand that that is part of what made that pandemic so rampant and it helps explain why 50 million people around the world died during that time between 1918 and 1919, because people were at very close quarters, particularly military recruits. And uh, the United States was not very well prepared for entering the war, uh, recruited a lot of people over a very short period of time. And that young age group, young men, they were all, stuffed into very small barracks. They had to sleep in uh, the same bed in shifts. So one recruit would sleep in a bed from 11 p.m. until 7 a.m. And then they'd go out and do their drills and so on. And then another recruit would crash and sleep in that bed, obviously without the sheets being changed or anything. And so it really caught fire uh, and it did so around the world. And it was at the same time as the horrors of a world war. So that actually is a point to be made, which is that we should be grateful that things are not worse. And uh, as you mm. mentioned, the acronym in the book, GAIN, stands for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And I think those really are the pillars of resilience during, during stressful times. And the G, which is gratitude, I think that's one very tangible thing we can reference that is imagine what it was like in 1918 with the pandemic and uh, world war going on at the same time but with respect to the pandemic there was very little medical care available the, the systems were completely overwhelmed uh, there's a lot of pictures if people want to look on the internet uh, for the influenza pandemic of 1918 of literally hundreds of young people in beds you know less than a foot apart um, so the medical care system was completely overwhelmed. And, of course, we didn't have the Internet, so people could not be apprised of what was happening to the extent that we are now, for better or worse, I suppose. But they weren't able to keep in touch with their loved ones other than those that were in the house with them. Um, they were dying so quickly that uh, there weren't enough trucks to take away the cadavers. There weren't enough caskets there weren't enough burial sites, so they had to start utilizing mass graves. So if we reflect back throughout history and, and then reevaluate where we are now, I think we can all feel very fortunate and grateful that things are not much worse than they are, as bad as they are. And, and certainly for those people who have lost loved ones, 
there's really nothing you can say. Uh, obviously, that's a, just an awful tragedy, but things could be much worse. Oh, indeed, and uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because the book I'm reading is called An Unladylike Profession. I don't know if it's published yet or will be next month, but it's about um, during World War One and World War Two, the first women reporters or war correspondents, uh, mm. you know, giving their stories from that. And then just reading those stories. And I can't read, I love to read, but I can't read that book every day. I have to read it in sections, you know, because it's so, yeah. uh, so more graphic. And so then as you, then you saying that at the same time, you know, we had a, a epidemic, pandemic going on. I was just like, that's, that's, that probably felt like Armageddon to people. Uh, well, let's tell, tell me more about the, the GAIN acronym. Uh, sure. Gratitude. Yeah, well, the, what is uh, Yes. Yeah. I think gratitude is central to happiness. Uh, you know, as I say in the book, you can be blind and happy. You can be deaf and happy. You can be otherwise physically handicapped and, and happy. But you really will not see a person who is happy and ungrateful. So gratitude is certainly one of the... I think fundamental elements of, of happiness and resilience. And I think the other three, or at least three of the others, um, and they're all interrelated, but the next one, according to the acronym gain is acceptance. And acceptance is a key element of resilience, according to many philosophies and religions. For example, the serenity prayer says that, we would hope to have the wisdom to be able to discern between things we can change and things that we can't change. And perhaps it's the wisdom to be able to uh, accept the things that we can't change, but we need, we need to understand which things we can change and which we can't. And the things that we can't change, we really need to open our hearts and sit with and accept. So what does that mean? It means literally for the, for the brief gain meditation, that's uh that I teach and that is in the book as well. Uh, we, we actually set aside a few minutes in the morning to sit, get in touch with our breathing and then do a contemplative meditation going through gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment gratitude. There are lots of things we can all be grateful for acceptance. I actually talk about imagining and having the physical imagery of opening our chest and opening our heart and let those things that are so painful to us in. And rather than resisting them, which increases our suffering, accept them. And it may be uncomfortable at first. We, we have a propensity to kind of push things away that are uncomfortable. But uh, there's a formula, actually, that I quote, which uh, is that suffering equals pain times resistance. So we have a pain and the pain is what it is. You know, if you uh, sprain your knee, you tear a, a ligament in your knee, for example, it hurts. However, if you resist it rather than accept it and you focus your attention on it and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that and why me, the suffering will increase proportionate to the resistance to the suffering or resistance to the pain rather. So acceptance is hugely important. And I mean, we all see colleagues walking down the hall we, we see them in little clusters here and there at coffee shops or what have you talking about things that they don't like why how is the world mm -hmm. other than what we would like it to be and often mm -hmm. they're talking about things that they can't change and really it's just sort of wasted energy and I, I think it's actually negative energy so let's open our hearts accept things we can't change and then focus on the things that we can change in our lives to make better so acceptance does not mean uh, being laissez-faire or lazy. It, it's quite the opposite. It, it, it is a call to action, but the action should be related to things that we can actually influence and make better. The I is intention. Mm, yeah. And, and this is central, again, to a lot of philosophies. And uh, I don't know if you've read any work by John Kabat-Zinn. He's the one who really started the mindfulness movement back in the 70s, working with people who had post-traumatic stress disorder. But one of the key elements of mindfulness is intention or purposefulness. So it's, it's being present on purpose and being here and, and in the present moment. And I think the on purpose part of that is key. 
we can actually rewire our brains through intention. We all tend to have a negativity bias. That is, we remember all the uncomfortable and negative things that happen, and we tend to forget the victories and positive things. And we can change that, though. We can actually rewire our brains. And an excellent example of intention is a program at Duke called Three Good Things. And what they've proven through sequential surveys with participants, and I think that you could still go online and join that if you search for Three Good Things in Duke University, uh, you can join that program online and you do a quality of life survey and then you make a pledge to join the program. And all you have to do is, as you're going to bed each night, turning the bed down, whatever, it's non-time consuming, think of three positive things that happen during the day. So tonight, for example, I'll remember, you know, the beautiful day here in California, um, sitting outside reading a favorite book, uh, having a good exercise session, I'll remember speaking on the phone with you right now and just thinking of three good things before we go to sleep at night as they've proven at Duke makes us happier. It improves our sleep. So this is an example how we can use our purposefulness or our intention to actually change the way we think over time. And I think that, you know, the principle in, in the game practice is to take small steps, but do them on a daily basis. So it could be as little as a three-minute contemplative meditation in the morning, uh, going through the GAIN acronym, and then setting our intention, mm -hmm. say, today I'm going to focus on non-judgment. The first person I see when I'm driving to work or riding my bike to work uh, that I tend to start judging, you know, maybe they cut me off on the road or they change lanes without using their turn signal, things that annoy all of us. When we start to make a judgment about that person, we catch ourselves and we laugh and think, okay, I'm dropping all judgment of that person. And it actually feels good. You know, all this judgment that we're doing constantly is exhausting. And, and that gets us to the non-judgment. <laughs> and that is that our minds are constantly pairing ourselves to other people. You know, I'm better than them or they're smarter than I am or somebody's better looking than somebody else or this is good and that's bad. And this constant formation of judgments that we go through all the time is really wasted energy and it's exhausting and it leaves a little bit of a negative imprint on us. Whereas if we can remember when we're making a judgment to let that go, it's really not necessary. We can look at the world exactly how it is without any judgment. It's like Krishnamurti said, I don't mind what happens. Looking at the world and what's happening without objecting to it without judging it. And so I think those are really the four pillars of resilience during this stressful time and in general, because life is full of stress, is our gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. Well, you know, that takes a – it's just four words, but it takes – you see where it takes a lot out of you to keep them going. You know, I told a friend of mine, I said, you know, my mother held, could hold a grudge to the grave. And, <laughs> you know, when you want to please, you know, your mother, you try to do the same thing. And one day I realized, this is, this is, why? Why am I so mad at people? You know, why is she so mad at people? And I said, just let sure. stuff go. And I felt much better. And, um, you know, I could see, you know, people I knew that were that way they just seemed to have now look, I'm no doctor I haven't even uh, played one on TV I haven't even um, taken a medical course but I just empirically I seemed to notice that a lot of times when people were very uh, angry and held a grudge and determined to hold a grudge they just to me they always seem to have a lot of uh, problems like Maybe the stomachs were always upset or they always had a headache or something. And I kept thinking, you know, I wonder if one reflects off the other or what's caused. You just can't hold on to something bad. Uh, Absolutely. What's the expression well, I think, like holding? I think that's, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, I was going to say, I, I, you know, there's different expressions you've, you, you, we've all heard. Uh, one is like, uh, what, hold, uh, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> or some yeah. version of that, you know. Yeah. Well, I think that the point is that we're hurting ourselves when we when we hold on to grudges and we're failing to accept, for one thing, the way that other people are, the way that we are. Often we don't really look at ourselves when we when we criticize or judge others. So I think there's acceptance, self acceptance, and and also non judgment. Um, and when we let go of judgment and grudges, it feels good. I think when we think and behave in a particular way and we get a little hit of dopamine, we get a little positive sensation, we really need to listen to that very carefully. There's something going on there and we should move toward it. We should move in that direction with purposefulness and intention. And I think letting go of grudges is certainly uh, one way to do that. Uh, That's certainly a, a sentiment that we're all better off letting go of. You know, since we were talking about um, increasing resilience, well-being while under the coronavirus quarantine, you know, not only do we all know, we see everything in the news, whether somebody's angry or somebody's scared or whatever. Uh, and, you know, in social media, it used to be, you know, sometimes people would get on and still do sometimes. It's a way for people to talk to their friends, whether they know them in real life or just in in uh, on social media about something bad that happened or whatever or a problem. And then lately I have seen, I've seen it before, but I've seen it more now, where people will come on they'll say, I'm really feeling down today. I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling sad. I need some good news. Show me a picture of your pets, you know, or tell me a funny story or show me something silly. And it's like people are, are, are asking each other, you know, come on, kind of help, help revive me a little bit emotionally and, with the understanding they'll do the same back. And so, yeah, this is a time when, um, you know, people are asking, uh, in your house, you're not getting out, you're not associated with people. If you can get out and get some sunshine, that's great. Uh, but but tell me, Dr. Hammer, what what can we do and how can we reach out, not in person <clears throat> or IRL in real, real life, as they say, but... Give us, give us some help. Give us some clues. <laughs> some. Well, I think, yeah, I think that first of all, we need to understand that this is a time of stress for everybody. Nobody's in this alone. Being with other people is a way to appreciate that. I think that when we're sheltering in place in our homes by ourselves, um, we tend to think that this is, affecting us especially and that we're isolated. We feel lonely and it's important to connect with other people. And again, that's one of the great things about the internet. I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword. There's some great things and some not so great things, but the ability to virtually connect with each other is so important. And as you said, um, we need to be physically isolated, but we don't have to be socially isolated. So I think connecting with people by, uh, not only the telephone, but also FaceTime or Skype or Zoom, something a lot of people are doing these days. And, and you know, be compassionate and non-judgmental toward others and ourselves. I think we have this negativity bias. We're probably harshest, most of us, on ourselves. And so we need to apply these principles of gain, not only to the way we see the world, but the way we see ourselves when we look inward. We We need to be grateful for what we have instead of because of our negativity bias, always thinking of what we don't have. So again, use your intention to redirect those thoughts to all the gifts that we have instead of focusing on being isolated and alone and, and the things that we don't have, including our social interactions. Um, So I think being connected is one big one. I think another one is, as you suggested, going outside. You know, being with nature, I had a friend who was really getting depressed and went to the beach uh, over the weekend and was just so moved by the sight and sounds of the ocean. And when we're in nature, we recognize that these trees that are perhaps hundreds of years old or the ocean itself or the beach, they don't acknowledge our problems. 
and it makes our problems seem very small and temporary, which they are. So, you know, it's been said that it's all small stuff, and, and in the manner of speaking, it is. And so I think we need to get outside. It helps us recognize when we connect with nature that, that our problems are relatively small, whereas when we're enclosed in a small space, our problems seem much larger. So connecting with others and getting outside, I think, are, are vital. I think keeping a schedule is another for many people that mm. uh, keeps, them, it keeps these feelings in check to some degree, um, but being open also to our own pain and, and suffering, and again, opening our hearts to that with acceptance. So I think that getting back to these four principles and applying them to the world around us, but also ourselves, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are really the keys. And then I think we've hit on some of the specific things, you know, reach out and connect with somebody. If you can't do it out on your driveway with your neighbor, um, or you're able, not able to go for a walk with somebody and maintain social distancing, then connect with them virtually. I think that's really important. But, but getting outside, I think, is also important. Keeping a schedule and remembering the fundamentals of sleep, exercise, and nutrition. And, and I have a chapter devoted to each of those in my book, of which I've, those chapters are co-written with experts at Stanford where I, where I teach and work. But I think we need to be on a schedule with our sleep, and we need to try to get exercise. So go outside, go for vigorous walks. If you have an exercise routine indoors, that's also great. And as far as nutrition, I think at times of stress, we tend to reach for non-nourishing, unhealthy foods at times that we call comfort foods. So <laughs> really put your intention into the nutrition and put your intention and purposefulness into what you're eating and trying to be especially healthy at this time. So sleep, exercise, and nutrition should be on that list of things to do to kind of maintain our balance. Oh, very good. Uh, you know, <laughs> that yeah, you're so right. We say comfort food, but it won't be so comforting when um, <laughs> when we're thinking, great, can't wait to get out so I can buy some more stretch pants, you know, or something with an elastic waistband or a larger size or something. You know, then it's not comfort food anymore. <laughs> or if you just no. uh, you just start to feel like a slob, no. Um, and yeah, you're right. Taking a, I noticed it with, with my husband and I, you know, it's like, okay, let's get up at a certain time. Let's take a shower. You know, let's get dressed. My, my best friend said um, her daughter – you know, who's an adult, she says, yeah, my daughter's in there. She's she's doing her nails, Manny Patty. She says, look, she's like, oh, what are you doing that for? She said, she goes, and, and Nicole told me, well, this is not going to last forever, Mom, and we're going to be back out in public again, and I'm going to be ready. My nails will be ready. My feet will be ready. My skin, <laughs> my hair, I'm going to be ready. So when it comes I'm got the door. <laughs> you know, everything I thought. I love her attitude. And so and I've known this girl since she was a teenager, you know, my friend's daughter. So I just said, Okay, this is what I'm gonna do, just like Nicole. So every uh other Sunday night when we're watching our British mystery movies, you know, while my husband eats eye cream, I'm just gonna occupy my hands by doing a manicure and then my hand my nails are wet so I can't eat the comfort food. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works, you know, I think but, we have to really focus on self-care at this time. It's, it's extremely important. Absolutely. You know, it's a stressful time. So, I think that we need to accept that. And, um, you know, acute stress sometimes can be beneficial or adaptive. But, you know, when we have stress, say you're running away from a predator, uh, hypothetically, or pulling a child out of a swimming pool, these are times of acute stress, and when we experience stress, there's a surge of adrenaline in our body, which is what we call epinephrine, most people call adrenaline, and there's also a surge of another hormone called cortisol, and the result of the increase in adrenaline and cortisol is that our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, it's a strain on our heart, the cortisol and the adrenaline cause our blood sugar to go up, and these may be adaptive in times of acute stress. It might help us actually flee, for example, or give us better strength so we can pull a child out of a swimming pool. But when we have chronic stress, it's virtually always maladaptive. It's bad for us. Uh, the stress on our circulation from the adrenaline, for example, 
Um, it also compromises our immune system. It gives us chronically elevated blood sugar, which is a, the condition that leads to diabetes. Um, our sleep is impaired. It's fatiguing uh, due to other hormonal changes that we experience under conditions of chronic stress. And when we're fatigued, that's especially when we reach for sugary foods that will give us a little burst of uh, energy or we reach for those fatty, unhealthy comfort foods. So we need to recognize mm. that this chronic stress, if we submit to it, is really bad for us. And there are ways to let go of the stress. And, you know, that's the point of this game meditation itself. I don't know. So I feel like what you're saying is that, that keeping a stash of, of uh, a big bag of M&Ms in my desk drawer is not going to be really that helpful. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would agree with that. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, if, by the way, I just want to stop and say, if you're listening to us live tonight, and this is Tuesday, May the 26th, 2020, I know sometimes we're all saying, what day is it? Again, but uh, if you're listening live and you want to talk to Dr. Hammer, Dr. Greg Hammer here with us talking um, about how to increase resilience and well-being while we're under this shelter at home, quarantine, whatever we call it, isolation for coronavirus, you can just give us a call at 646-716-9922. It's a toll-free call in the continental U.S. Uh, again, 646-716-9922. And for my people who are at work or somewhere where they can't use a phone, you know, you can always send your questions or comments in by message on Facebook, either through Jennifer Maudette Perry or Madam Perry Salon. Uh, Dr. Hammer, what about people, uh, and I've seen this, I don't have children, I have dogs, so that's what keeps me exercised because I've got herding dogs. They will as you probably know, they will get the leash and push me at the door, knocking at the back of my leg <laughs> to go outside. But um, but for people with children, I understand people say, you know, children are getting a little nervous and a little getting some anxiety these days. What what do they do? What should they do? That's an excellent question. Actually, a lot of kids are doing online classes and um while that works for some children, it doesn't work for other children. Those who have a little bit of attention deficit, it's very difficult to pay attention when you've got uh, little boxes with all the other children's faces around the screen, and, and there's a lot of transition happening on the screen. It's quite distracting, and I think a lot of kids just don't do well in that environment. First of all, I would say, in general, the, our children really take a page from, from us, their parents, and so... First of all, I would recommend that people are very transparent with their kids. I, I believe in communicating openly about what's going on. You know, why is this happening, mom or dad? I would say explain it to them in real terms. Don't try to shelter them from what's going on. So I think openness, transparency, honesty are good. Another uh, thing is that the children will, will look to us for our mood and, and our sense of stress or calm. And so... As parents, I think we need to take a breath and, and be present with our children because when we're present, we're resilient and happy. When we're catastrophizing about the future and worried about what might happen or we're reliving uncomfortable moments in the past, we tend to be distracted and unhappy. So let's rise to the occasion and really try to be as present and calm with our kids as we possibly can be. And then the other things that we talked about a few minutes ago, I think keeping a schedule is extremely important. Um, making sure that there's a bedtime, that there's a time to get up in the morning, even if they don't have online classes to get up for. I think having a schedule is, is good in general for our biorhythms and also for our sleep. It's part of sleep hygiene is going to sleep at the same time every night and getting up around the same time every morning, even on the weekends, uh, getting them some exercise. So going outside with them, bringing them on walks, taking those dogs for a walk together, um, making sure that they get exercise so that they're tired at night and they're ready to go to bed at the designated hour. And then, again, nutrition is really important. So sleep, exercise, and nutrition keep our kids on a healthy dietary regimen. So I think that being present, being open, keeping a schedule, focusing on their sleep, their exercise, and their diet and nutrition, I think those are kind of 
a handful of the mainstays of how to deal with our kids at this time, uh, understanding that there's still going to be some difficulties, especially with regard to school and just having them get antsy. So uh, there's no easy solution, but at least we can have uh, a handful of principles that might give us some guidance during this time. Indeed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Very clear. What, um, and you may have covered the the answer to this already, but, you know, when we're talking and when when I was sharing the information about you being on here tonight, I was saying, you know, this is a time where people are, um, a lot of people are losing jobs, which is another good thing, reason why if you are out in traffic, you know, sometimes people it's easy to get irritated if somebody cuts over in front of you or seems to be driving crazy or something or takes a spot or honks at you or something. And so, you know, this is a good time to stop and think, you know, they may not seem like they know what they're doing or they might have done something crazy, but maybe they just got some bad news health-wise, maybe they just Mm -hmm. got laid off work and they're heading home and they're not sure what their next move is going to be, you know, realize that they, you don't know what everybody else is going through, but you know it could be something. So, uh, or people are worried about losing their money, maybe their, whether it's their retirement portfolio is disappearing or the paycheck, maybe they're not getting unemployment, Uh, they're worried about their health, will they catch something like I said, you've probably given us good answers already to deal with that, but if you could just sort of give us a little more emphasis, because that's where it gets down sure. to the real, as I say, nitty-gritty. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I think that non-judgment is extremely important. Um, in the book, I tell a story of uh, being in the intensive care unit, and I'm about to walk into a child's room, and, and one of the parents is standing in the doorway, and I smell cigarette smoke on their sweater. And the natural response to that, if you're a pediatric intensivist and you have a, a two-year-old child who's on a ventilator, when you smell cigarette smoke on the parent's clothing is to think that, of course, you know, there's a lot of secondhand smoke in the house and that the parents are in some way responsible for this child's lung infection and to kind of blame the parents. And it's basically making judgments. It's being judgmental about the fact that this person smokes. When in fact, uh, on one occasion, I learned that this mother had quit smoking a long time ago, but you know, their child ended up on a ventilator and they were as good a parent as you could ever imagine. And they just broke down and they went outside and they had a cigarette. And, you know, the moral of that story is don't assume the worst. Give people the benefit of the doubt. And the bottom line is Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, that I really should not be judging this person and sort of depersonalizing them, which is what we tend to do when we're stressed and somebody ticks us off. So we tend to depersonalize them. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't think of those things that you mentioned, like, you know, maybe they just lost their job, maybe they're you know, not able to pay their rent. And, and so they're distracted. And, and that's the reason that they were, you know, changing lanes and so on. Um, Given the benefit of the doubt. And the bottom line is just recognize, again, with intention, that we're making a judgment about somebody else. And that letting go of that judgment makes us feel happier. And, uh, you know, I think non-judgment is, is really one of the pillars of resilience. And especially when we're under stress as we all are right now. So I I would underscore exactly what you said about uh, giving that person the benefit of the doubt and, you know, maybe something terrible happened to them. Maybe they just lost their parent who was in the intensive care unit with a COVID-related medical problem. So let's not judge. When we find ourselves doing it, let's commit to letting go of that judgment, one small judgment at a time. And it's, it's to the benefit of our own resilience. Mm, I see. Okay, I'm going to hold just about 60 seconds, and I'll be right back. And I've got a message here from someone. And uh, Dr. Hammer, don't go away. So, Chuck, talk to us about Fisdale being the Knicks 
new coach. What's your uh, thoughts on that? Well, well, I, I tell you right now, Ernie, it don't matter who gonna coach this team. They don't got no talent on they it, and I don't. Man. I don't really feel I talk. That's kind of hard. I don't feel I talk about the Knicks right Do now. Talk about lunch? No. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Chuck? See, Ernie, I've been listening to a podcast called Madam Perry Salon, and I think Jennifer Perry. She's a great host. I mean, she got all these bestseller authors, Rostar, all the dip comedians. What about people you that could, don't have rings? Here we go again. I got Real funny. Ah, Real funny. Ah, ah, but I think she's great, and I think people would love her show. She got a great laugh. She make The laugh come out of nowhere like an eagle come in there and just steal the whole show. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's not terrible. Well, there you go. That's what I call a testimony. All right, Dr. Hammer. <laughs> See, just a little levity, right? Do I understand? Because I've watched you on a lot of other, uh, I've watched you on other videos and listened to some of the other podcasts you've done. Uh, I want to talk while we've got just a few minutes left, and I'm so glad to have you here. Talk about um, more about your your new book and where people can get it. Also, I think you you have this formula for people where you say, this is what you can do in four minutes when something's yes. going bad. Sure. Well, the book is available on Amazon. So if you can go to Amazon and just uh, put in the search window, Gain Without Pain, Greg Hammer, you'll get to it. You can go to my website, which is greghammermd.com. So all lowercase, no punctuation. G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D, greghammermd.com, and that'll take you to the uh, Amazon page. Um, so the uh, you were asking me about the meditation, about the four-minute practice? Yes. Yeah, it's very simple. It's um, simply that, first of all, we start with our intention the evening before, so we're going to do our three good things intention to help rewire our brain to be more positive and optimistic. And as we set our alarm for the morning, we're just going to set it three or four minutes earlier than we would otherwise get up. So instead of getting up at seven, you might set your alarm for 6.56. And I think we can all spend four minutes in the morning. Uh, I don't think any of us is going to notice that we slept for four minutes less than we might have otherwise. (laughs) So we get up in the morning with the intention of doing the gain practice and, you know, do our hygiene thing, and then find a comfortable, quiet place to sit. Make sure you're comfortable. You know, a lot of people have tried meditation, and the expectation was that they would be able to sit perfectly still for 20 or 30 minutes, possibly in an uncomfortable position, not scratch an itch, and banish all Mm -hmm. thoughts from their mind. And, you know, that's too big of a bite. It's not something that most of us can do, and people may be instructed to try that and, and they get frustrated, disappointed, think that they failed and so they, they quit doing it. Whereas the gain meditation is just a very short, brief, contemplative meditation. So you are supposed to have thoughts. Your thoughts are simply guided. So get in a comfortable position and just get in touch with your breath. So feel the breath coming in through your nose Breathe in slowly to a count of three, pause for a count of two, and exhale slowly through your nose or mouth to a count of four. This kind of slows your breathing down, brings your intention to the breath, brings your attention to the breath as well. And when you slow your breathing down, it stimulates something called the parasympathetic nervous system, and that slows your heart rate down also and lowers your blood pressure. So we focus on our breath, the the in-breath to a count of three, pause for a count of two and a slow exhalation without effort to a count of four. We get in this rhythm and then we think of that for which we're grateful. We focus on our appreciation, our gratitude. First, how grateful we are for this day, that we're here today. Things could be otherwise. So we appreciate the fact that we have this, the gift of a day. And we can just go through a list of things for which we're grateful, our, our ones, Um, you know, perhaps a new friend, a new partner, a new dog, um, that we live in a warm and generally safe place compared to many other people in the world, that 
things are so much better now, even though we have a pandemic, than they could be and that they were 100 years ago. So we just kind of embrace the things for which we're grateful. And then we transition to acceptance. And we make just kind of sit with something that might be uncomfortable for us and just contemplate that painful ideation, that thought, and then visualize kind of opening our chest, opening our heart, and letting that thought, that idea come closer and closer until we kind of merge with it, until we consume it or join with it. And again, you know, it may be a little bit uncomfortable at first, but when we do this, when we just bring it closer and closer, oftentimes you realize there's really not much there. It was sort of the fear of what was there caused Mm. us more pain than the actual idea itself. I guess it's the Winston Churchill expression that uh, Mm. the only thing to fear is fear itself. So it's that resistance. (laughs) So let go of that resistance and accept that which might be uncomfortable for you and just sort of breathe with that. Go back to your breath nice and slow and then transition to intention. Bring yourself to the present moment. Think of three good things. Think of the three good things you thought of last night or three good things that are going to happen today and, and bring your purposefulness to that which is positive. And, and that is your intention. And you might also set your intention for the day. For example, today I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be accepting. I'm going to be nonjudgmental. And, and, with your intention and your purposefulness, identify a particular exercise you might do. Like, for example, if you drive to work, set your intention on not judging that first person that you would normally get a little bit irritated with who is changing lanes without using their turn signal, for example. And then when that actually happens, the person is changing their lane without their turn signal, it'll remind you because mm. you set your intention to be nonjudgmental of that individual. It will remind you to let go of that judgment. And then just go to your, you know, uh, your intention to be nonjudgmental just in general, that it's not productive to judge people. And most of all, it's not uh, productive to judge ourselves. So when we think of judging ourselves, pretend that we're talking to our best friend and they're telling us something, which is what we're judging ourselves for. But in fact, it's them who's the one who's experiencing that. And, and imagine how we would treat them with kindness and, and, acceptance rather than judgment and therefore it makes sense to treat ourselves that way too so in this oh, way we can contemplate yeah. our non-judgment and then go back to the breath just for two or three breaths take a nice deep slow inhalation through the nose to a count of three pause to a count of two and relax and let the air out to a count of four and then we're ready to slowly open our eyes and go out into the world that day And again, you know, this can be as little as three minutes. Or if you have the time and inclination, you may want to sit there and and do it a little bit more slowly. In particular, after you've been doing this practice for some period of time, for days, weeks, months, you know, you may want to sit for a little bit longer. But the important thing is just to do it every morning, even if it's only three minutes every morning. It really will help get you started on the day and, and put things in perspective and set your intention to embrace these principles. And, and I think over time, you know, come three to six months from that point, I think we can all look back and think, you know, I'm just happier than I used to be. And, and that's the point is take small steps, but, but have a daily practice. Hmm. Wow. Well, you know, if you were, <laughs> if, if this were on Zoom and there were a split screen, you would see that every time you went through the formula, you know, the breathe three seconds or count of three, count of two, it's four. I'm over here doing it. And the more you talk, the more mellow I get. So, <laughs> well, that's perfect. I, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, me too. I think okay. I gotta wait back. I gotta. I gotta come too, so I can make sure that everybody knows that I will be sharing all of your social media. I mean, all of uh, on all of my social media how to get your book. Uh, and even though, gotta say, even though, um, yeah, I'm still I'm still not waking up from that, Doctor Hammer. You're gonna have to snap your fingers like the, like the hypnotist or something. Um, uh, even though the book is no, called... it's all right. You can stay in that mellow place. It's fine. Oh, 
I'm not getting too far away from it. Let me tell you. If if you uh, the title of the book is Gain Without Pain, Fitness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. But it's not just for healthcare professionals. It gets for anyone. Uh, Gain the acronym for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. Well, it all makes such a big difference. But I will be sharing uh, your website address and because there's a lot of good information on there, folks. And some of it I shared on Instagram about meditation. But there's a lot of good to find. And I'll be sharing that on, not only on my Madam Perry Salon social media, but also on my Jennifer Perry personal social media. I'll be sharing where you can get this book, either on uh, Dr. Hammer's website, Amazon, wherever you want to get it. Uh, thank you so very much for being here. I'm just so grateful for all that um, you taught. You came to teach us. Um, and if you tuned in late, you're going to want to go back to the beginning and listen to this. Uh, Dr. Hammer, pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, professor at Stanford University Medical Center, Center. Um, He's also a health enthusiast and meditator. So, yeah, this book is going to mean a lot to you. Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals and actually for all of us because, you know, we're all taking care of somebody or trying to take care of ourselves. And thank you for putting so much time and work into creating a book that will help us all at a time. I don't know when you started it, if you knew this was, we were going to need it this much now, but we do. And uh, Dr. Hammer, I just wish you all the best with this book, with your life, your family, your patients, and your friends. And I hope that you'll come back sometime. Anytime. I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity, and it's it's wonderful being with you and all of your listeners. Well, I'm delighted too. So I'm going to end with one of my mantras. It's um, in a song, the only song I've ever written called "Everybody." And if you don't like it, it's a great Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.